been working our way through the story of Abraham, the father of the faithful, and uh, we have, as we've looked at Abraham's life, it's not one that we would call unwavering in his faith, because there have been times when he has uh, proceeded, proceeded without uh, consulting the Lord, and there have been times when he just decided that he knew how to protect himself as well as God or better than God, had better idea than God. But today as we come to the final exam for, for Abraham, we see that, that he, he demonstrates a faith that is beyond my imagination. How could anybody trust God enough to sacrifice their own son and, uh, and do it with, with confidence, it, it looks like, as we, as we read it. And so uh, I want us to, I want you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11 so we get the, uh, the New Testament application of this in Hebrews 11. I want to... Uh, Let's just start in in verse 8, Hebrews 11, beginning in verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And when he went out, not knowing where he was going, by faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the promise for he was looking forward to the city that has foundation, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. And therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. And then skip on down to verse 17 in that same chapter in Hebrews. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. All right? So we go back to, to chapter 21, and we, we read of the birth of Isaac. We know that, that uh, Isaac and, I mean, Abraham and, and Sarah had come up with a plan to help God bring an heir and to, uh, to find a way of, of having the, the descendants of Abraham innumerable. And so they came up with the plan of, of offering up Hagar, the, the slave girl of Sarah, to Abraham to, uh, to conceive with. She conceived and brought forth Ishmael, and, and Abraham loved Ishmael. Uh, and and he and when God said you're going to have a a child through Sarah, he said, "How about let's just let Ishmael be it." Remember that. But here it says that the Lord visited Sarah as He had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as He had promised. 
And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. I'd say that's a reference to when they were on their way to, when the Lord and a couple of angels were on their way to Sodom and Gomorrah, and they stopped and said, about this time next year, Sarah will have a child. And so uh, it, 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 it refers all the way back to the beginning of his talking to Abraham, but it refers more recently to what he had said a year ago. Now, here's what I, what I see. I, I'm, we're looking here at, at Abraham, who is faithful, and, or has faith, and we're looking at the Lord, who is faithful. And, and that's what this speaks to. It says that the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did as he had promised. The Lord's faithfulness is perfect. What he says is always going to come to pass. God says that, that the word of God says that, that he does not let sin go unpunished. All sin will be paid for. God says that the word of God says that, that if, if we repent and are baptized in the name of Christ, we will be saved and we'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's what he preached through Peter on, on the day of Pentecost. And the things that God says are going to come to pass. You can trust his word. If, if you have sinned, your sin must be paid for. And the penalty for sin is death. Now the good news is that Jesus paid that penalty of death for your sin... And it is counted to you, his righteousness is counted to you, if you by faith receive him. And a demonstration of that faith would be being baptized according to the scripture. And not only that, as, a, as an earnest, as a demonstration of the promise, he will give you the Holy Spirit to live within you. And you will become a spiritual person, not just a physical person. Those things are true. They will come to pass. If you do not accept the payment that Jesus has made for your sin, then you will pay for your sin eternally. I know that's not a great way to start a sermon and get, keep everybody listening, but I'm telling you, that's the truth. Keep listening. Because God's faithfulness is perfect. His word is true always. And he said, it says here that he visited Sarah... Sarah, and he did what he had said he would do. He accomplished what he had promised, and Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age. So it's a blessing to Sarah. It's a blessing to Abraham. It is not based upon the faith of Abraham or the righteousness of Abraham. It is based upon God because he had said it, because he had promised it. It came to pass. His faithfulness is perfect. His faithfulness is according to his plan. And God made a plan before the, the foundation of the world. Nothing has snuck up on God. There have been no surprises. He did not believe that man was going to be perfect and sinless. And then when man sinned, he said, oh, shucks, now I've got to come up with a new plan. He has always had a plan. It has always involved Jesus, the Christ, God in the flesh. And those who have been saved in any era 
of time at any point have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Some, like Abraham, were counted righteous before Jesus even lived, but it was by the promise of Jesus that they were saved. Nobody is saved apart from Jesus. That is the Word of God. And you can be good, and you can be a church person, and you can have faith, and you can be faithful, and you can tithe, and you can sing in the choir. You can be a deacon, but if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have no hope of eternal salvation. He has a plan. He has promised. It happened at the set time. And in the process, as we're looking at the faithfulness of God... What we see here, according to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 12, is that it's like Abraham is raised from the dead to bring this thing to pass. That is the extent to which God will go to bring his word to realization. Abraham was 100 years old, and so his body, as, as far as having a child, was dead. But God raised him from the dead and, 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 and allowed him to be a part of the conception of Isaac, through whom the world would be blessed, because from Isaac will come Jesus Christ. See, that is the extent that God will go to to be faithful to his word. And he said in Genesis chapter 3 that the seed of the woman bruised the head of the serpent. And to bring that to pass, he would go to the extent of allowing God the Son to take on flesh and dwell among men, live a sinless life and be crucified, lay down his life to be crucified, to give himself as a perfect sacrifice to pay for our sin, and then to the extent of raising him from the dead to bring to pass that truth that Satan's head has been bruised, has been crushed by the plan of God and the grace of God through Jesus Christ. So you've got God's faithfulness displayed here. You've got Abraham's faith. Now, we know that Abraham's faith was not perfect. We've got the, the Egypt thing. We have Ishmael Gate. We have the Abimelech issue. But I tell you something about Abraham that we can see in the scripture that Abraham is persistent. That Abraham keeps coming back to God because of his faith in the Word of God. His faith is not in himself. And when he sees that he has failed, then he says, Then I've got to get back to God. And God is faithful and just to forgive sins that are confessed and cleanse from all unrighteousness. And so Abraham just keeps coming back. He keeps repenting. Just like the end of the book says in Revelation. Keep saying to the churches, the seven churches, to most of them, he says, you have missed the mark. And so repent. Come back. Remember and repent. And then he, Abraham's patience, he keeps hanging in there. He's waiting. He's waited at least 25 years since the promise for, for Isaac to be born. But he keeps hoping. He, he messed up and, and brought about, about Ishmael. 
And the Lord said, that's not it. And so he keeps hoping. He keeps coming. He's, he's patient, and his patience is finally rewarded here. And, and I, I love the name. Don't you love the name of Isaac? Well, it kind of loses something in translation. But, but what it literally means is laughter. They named their son Laughter. Now, you remember that, that, that speaks of the grace of God in, in reference to Sarah because Sarah laughed in derision saying, that's not going to happen. Boy, you, don't, you have got the wrong address here. But Abraham, when he heard the news, he fell on his face and laughed with joy. And so they named the son who came from the promise that came as, as they have been persistent and patient and their patience is rewarded. And so, and God said, this is what I want you to name him. Name him Isaac so you'll remember. And then as we read here, I didn't, I didn't have all of this read because a lot of it is familiar to you and, and, and I wanted to have a long time to preach. <laughs> but part that we left out, after Isaac's birth, Abraham circumcised him. I think she did read that. Circumcised him on the eighth day. And that was a presentation of Isaac back to God because he's been circumcised, which is the sign of God's ownership. And that was the covenant that, that a sign of the covenant that God gave to Abraham. You, you circumcise the people who are, are of the covenant. It, it is a mark on them that says they are mine. So they get the child. Finally, what they have been waiting for has come to pass. Now, I left out a little bit of the, uh, of, of the problems that, that arise in the reading, but if you start in, in verse 8 and read down through 21, you'll, you'll re- see the, the, the account of the trouble in paradise because there's conflict in this house of faith. As... as Isaac grows and he is weaned at about age three. Abraham makes a big feast. And Sarah sees Hagar. And and Sarah sees Ishmael taunting Isaac. Now, Ishmael at this point is going to be somewhere between 14 and 17 years old. And he's taunting a three-year-old. So you know he is, just like God said, a donkey man, which is another way of saying a jerk. So Ishmael's acting like a jerk. And, and Sarah is offended by that, certainly with her, with her baby. And she's already had this problem with, with Hagar, her servant, who, who you know, kind of taunted her when she had a child and Sarah couldn't. And so she says, this, these people have got to go. Now, here's a picture. Now, that's the story. But here's the picture that's represented by that story. God says to Abraham... You do what Sarah says. You, you put them out. Put them out of the house. Because, here's why. Because Ishmael is a representative of the work of the flesh. Now, a lot of commentators say that, and I've got it in my notes, that he, he represents the law as opposed to the spirit. I, Isaac being born was totally a miraculous work of God through Abraham and Isaac. He's a spiritual birth. The, the Ishmael's birth was a physical thing. Abraham was able to birth this child or able to, to, to aid in the conception. I'm trying to be delicate here. And 
where the woman who was a slave. And what we have a picture here is God says the, the spirit wins out over the flesh always. And the spirit relationship, those who worship God are going to worship him in spirit and truth, not in the, according to the law. And so that always wins out over the law and over the flesh. Now, I do not want to proclaim that the law is, is bad because the law teaches us. And Ishmael taught some lessons to Abraham and to Sarah about the flesh and about not being able to please God by the flesh and by the works of the flesh. Some people believe that they can satisfy God by obeying the law. Thou shalt not kill. Thus I have no other gods before me. Don't lie. Honor your father and your mother. Those are not in order. And that's not all of them. But people say, if I can be good, or at least relatively good, if I can be so good enough so that I look good compared to my neighbor, then God will surely accept me. But the problem is, if that is your attitude, that God has to accept you because of what you have done, you have flunked commandment one, which says, you have no other gods. And you have said, my way is better than God's way. And God says the only way is through Jesus Christ. So you flunk. The law loses out to the spirit. Now the flesh is born first. Here's another part of that picture. You see, Ishmael was born first. When when a man or woman is born, they're born conceived in sin, David said. So we have the flesh operating in us. You can see that in little baby children, can't you? The most important thing in the world to a child is that child. Now, God is gracious. We talked about that, that condition of, of uh, being accountable or not accountable and the grace that's, that's demonstrated there. But what grows and what sticks with people is that, that I am God. I'm the most important thing. That's, that's the flesh. It's born first. But then God sends the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts and bring us to him as we're humbled and we choose him over ourselves. So here's that, that, that picture. Ishmael was good and Abraham loved Ishmael. And he said, let's make Ishmael the, the, the one. And God says, no, the flesh never gets to rule in my kingdom. The spirit is born by the power of God. The flesh is born through, through, the, through the allowance of God, but through the... The, the work of, of man and, and of woman. And we see that flesh persecutes the spirit. There's that picture again, Ishmael picking on, picking on Isaac. So Sarah says, cast him out. Just, just do it. And God says, okay, do it, Abraham. Now, it is hard for him. Why? Because he's giving up an accomplishment of him, of his, of his own. Verse 11 says, the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. He loved Ishmael. But God says, sometimes you will love the flesh. Most of the time you will love the flesh. But God says the spirit has to rule. And so cast him out. I'm going to take care of him. And he says the seed of blessing is through Isaac. The seed of blessing and the seed of faith is through Isaac. That's verse 12. 
Do not be displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do it as she tells you, for through Isaac shall be your offspring. Now, you see, as God speaks about, about Ishmael and about Hagar, he always brings in slavery because that's what's connected to the law. Because if you, if you think you're going to satisfy God by the law, then it all depends on you, and you are a slave to that impossible master, the law. But the seed is through Isaac. Now, again, I say the law is not useless because what the law does for us, according to Romans 3, is that it teaches us what sin is. It shows us the character of God, and it shows us the impossibility of living up to that standard so it teaches us the law is not to be, to be discounted. But the law tells us that we've got to find a way to please him. And we can't please him by, only by what we do. The law can teach. The law can show us sin. But only Christ can redeem. All right. And then, one more thing. There's no coexistence, you know. I'm sure what Abraham would say is, is look, Lord, there's, there's an option here. Let, let's let Isaac stay, and let's let Ishmael stay, and, and I'll make them behave. No, you cannot make the law behave and fit together with grace through faith only. For by grace we saved through faith. And even that is a gift of God, that faith. He says, no, they're not going to coexist. There's no peaceful coexistence between the flesh and the spirit. We walk not by the flesh, but by the spirit. So, now we get to this, this amazing story in chapter 22. There's some other stuff about Abimelech here that's really interesting, but you'll just have to study that on your own at the end of chapter 21. Chapter 22. And after these things... After the things that have been talked about in verse 21, actually it's about 20 years after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. And God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. This is a test, it says. God tested Abraham. Now, he did not tempt Abraham to sin, but he gave a test so that Abraham would know what God had done in him and what God is doing in him. It, it reveals his faith. It does not produce faith. It, it shows him how much God has done in him and what he is capable of and, and what God will do as he as he's obedient to God. He is drawing Abraham up, not down. God doesn't test anybody to sin. But he tests us to see how high we can go. And so, Lord says, Abraham. And Abraham says quickly, here am I. It doesn't tell us that God had to call him more than once. It didn't tell him that, 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 God, that Abraham had to look around. He knew that voice. And he says, here am I. And he responded quickly. And he says, Abraham, I want you to take your only son, the one that I know that you love. 
See, God's not frivolous about this thing. God knows, the, and, and now you, you see, see that, that, little, that little phrase, only son? Well, what about Ishmael? Ishmael wasn't really his son. He was the son of the flesh. He says, Isaac is your only true son. He's the son of your wife, Sarah, not the son of a slave. Your only son, and the son that I know that you love, I want you to take him and offer him as a sacrifice. Now, what kind of God would do that? God who has a plan and a God who has a perfect purpose. And so he calls Abraham. He, he gives him this. Any of y'all ever taken a welding test to get a job? Well, you've got that to look forward to still. Some of, the ways that, that, some of the ways that they test a welder is they have him weld and then they x-ray it. But a lot of times, if it's a structural job, they'll just take, him, take a, a strap out of what he welds and, and, and bend it. And they don't do that because they don't want welders. They do that test because they want welders. And so what they're doing is proving that you qualify. And so what God is doing as he is testing Abraham is he is proving to himself and to a- he already knows it. He's proving to Abraham that he qualifies with God. Isn't that a good thing? He says, Abraham, here's what I want you to do. Not Abraham, I want you to do this or this or that. He says, Abraham, I have one thing for you to do. It's one choice. Go to Moriah, the word in the mountain. The word means chosen by Jehovah. Go to the place that is chosen by God and offer your son as a sacrifice. It's also interesting that, that Mount Moriah is the place that, that Solomon's temple was eventually built. Go to the place where sacrifices will be made. Go to the place where where people worship. Go to the place that represents the presence of God and there sacrifice this thing that is most precious to you in the world. Go to the place where you will worship the God of the universe and offer what is most precious to you here on earth. Now, y'all remember when, when God said... Isaac's going to be your, your, the chosen one, not Ishmael. And God argued, I mean, Abraham argued with, with God. He doesn't argue this time. Something has happened in the heart of Abraham that allows him to be obedient. Now, that's a gift of God, y'all. That is not something that Abraham has conjured up. That is not something that he has earned. That is something that God has given. And when a person turns his life over to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, because there are so many things that do not make human sense, it has to be a result of a work of God in that person's heart and mind and spirit. We've got a picture of it here. So Abraham doesn't argue with God. Abraham is obedient, and Abraham is obedient completely. He doesn't hold back anything. You know what we don't see in the story? We don't see any argument from Abraham. We don't see any questioning. Why? 
you said that Abraham was going to be the one through whom the promise comes. What, what, are you, what are you thinking here? Have you forgotten something? We don't see that. And we don't read about the misery of Abraham as he travels to the place where this is going to take place. Remember, as we read on down through, he says, on the third day he looked up and he saw the mountain. Now, can you imagine that? God says, I want you to offer your only son, your beloved son. I want you to take him and I want you to cut his throat and I want you to put him on, a, on, a, on a, a, an altar and set fire to his body. And Abraham says, well, I got it to do. Let's do it. Verse 3 says, he rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering, and he rose and he went to the place which God had told him. And on the third day, can you imagine those three days? You travel during the day, and it gets to be night, and you say, well, it's time to sleep. But what's going on in your mind? Now, men, they could probably eventually go to sleep. But women... Not only are they not going to sleep, the, the, the donkeys aren't even going to sleep. Because there's going to be enough activity in their head, it's going to keep everybody awake. But at, even if he dozed off, he's going to wake up and he's thinking, I am going to kill my only son, the one I love. But we don't read about that misery, so maybe it didn't happen. That, that would be natural, but there's something supernatural going on here. And, and somebody asked Jesus, what is the, the, the greatest commandment? And he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. What do you think that Abraham has invested here? All his heart, all his soul, all his mind, all his strength. Jesus said in John 14, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And so what I'm seeing here is that Abraham has gotten to the point where he has fallen in love with God to the point that he would respond like this, to the point that he would travel three days where he has plenty of time to turn back or take a detour, and he will come to the place where he will offer his son. Abraham responds completely. Now here's something that, that gives us a hint of the faith of Abraham. When we get to, on the third day, he sees the place afar off in verse 5 in chapter 22. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Now what? Has he got some, some, he think he's going to trick God or something? I don't think so. I think according to, to what we read in Hebrews, he knew that this God that he worshipped, that he had put his faith in, that God had, the God who had changed his heart from being unable to obey him and follow him to where he could have the confidence to take his only beloved son to be sacrificed and he had such confidence and such a relationship with this God that he could do it in peace and believe that he's coming again. 
that God really could raise his son from the dead. Now, you know, for us, that, that's, that's a miraculous thought. But we know, we can look at the scripture, we can look at history and see that God raised other people from the dead. You've got Elijah and Elisha raising widows' sons from the dead. We've got Jesus raising the, the son of the, of the widow of Nain. We've got uh, Lazarus being risen from the dead. And, and then we've got Jesus being risen from the dead. We, we've heard of such a thing, but this is new stuff for Abraham. But because he knows the God who has resurrection power, he says to his servants, we're going to go, we're going to worship, we're going to do what honors God, and we are going to come again. And his son, Isaac, as they're walking along, he says to his father, Father, here am I, my son. Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? That, 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 that tells me something also. Isaac knew what a burnt offering was. He has seen his father offer sacrifice before. Now, why, why would Abraham have done that? There is no law that requires that. There's no law. But because he loved God, he's going to worship God, and he's going to involve his son, his beloved son, in that. And so Isaac knew what a, what a, a sacrifice was. He knew what a burnt offering was. Where's the lamb, Daddy? And Abraham says, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And so they both went together. They went along together. He was not dragging Isaac. Isaac has faith in the God of his father. Isaac has faith in his father. And, and his father expresses this, this confidence that God's going to provide a lamb. Now, Abraham probably didn't know that he was speaking prophetically of what John the baptizer would say, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Talking about Jesus as well. But he goes, and when he gets there, he makes everything ready. He's got the knife drawn, and he's ready to plunge it into his son. And God speaks from heaven. He says, stop. Don't harm the son. Don't harm your son. Don't lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God. Was that a revelation to God just when he just figured this out? No. But now I know that you know the fear of God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eye and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram. Well, surprise, surprise, surprise. <laughs> Caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. Now, some of you may have that translated as the Lord will see. But the, the best translation of, of that is really the Lord will see to it. What the Lord says, he is going to see that it happens. So Abraham called the place Jehovah-Jireh, the place that God sees to his will and his glory being accomplished. 
and it's called that to this day. It's still called, it was still called Mount Moriah, but they said that, that's the place Abraham called. God will take care of it. God will provide. Without the benefit of a history of, of God being one who raises from the dead, Abraham proceeds in faith. It is the ultimate demonstration of love for God and commitment to God. And that's why God says, I see now, I know that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And down to verse 16. And he said, I myself have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. And God says, because of that, our relationship is sealed. Your joy is going to be complete in me. Because you have demonstrated to me and to you that there is nothing that is more important to you than God. That, that's what Sunday school has been about for the last month. See, when you don't come to Sunday school, you miss that stuff. <laughs> but it's here. Abraham's surrender was counted as a deed done. God, God says, well, in, in Hebrews... 19, it says he received him back from the dead because God counted it ha as having been done because it was his will to please God. And as far as God, God's mind, if we, could, if we could try to encapsulate that, he saw that if he had waited, Abraham would have killed his son. So it was counted as already done. When we... Die with Christ, we don't have to physically stop our hearts and our lungs and our brains from functioning. But when we say that Jesus is Lord of my life, when I say Jesus is Lord of my life, and I die to myself, and I am buried with him as symbolically in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life, it, it, we are saying that if you wanted me to, I'd plunge a knife into my heart. And God knows our heart because God gives us that heart. Now, that's not natural, y'all. For someone to say, I would die for you, God, to, to glorify you, to fulfill your plan, I would die. God says, you're dead. And I give you new life. That old man is dead. And I make you a new creation in Jesus Christ. And I send my spirit to live inside of you in, part of that, in place of that fleshly spirit. That has been just symbolized by hard-headedness. See, God hasn't changed. In him there is no shadow of change. He is always the same. He has always called people to complete commitment. He calls you this morning to complete commitment to him. To give everything that you have. According to everything that you know. 
to give it over to him and put it in charge of Jesus Christ so that he is Lord of everything and you are Lord of nothing. That's what it means to be born again. You're starting over. Isaac was, in effect, raised from the dead. He's a new kid now, 20-something years old. And Abraham is new because now he knows something about what God has done and can do in him. And God gives this as a preview of what he will do as he demonstrates his love for mankind. Today is called Palm Sunday, the day that Jesus rode into town. The beginning of that week that will end in his laying his life down on the cross. But really, that was done even before this, because before the foundation of the world, God had that all planned out. And he knew you, and he knew that he could change you, and he invites you to accept that change and put your trust in Jesus. And he'll make it happen if you will be faithful to him like Abraham. He said, Abraham, do it. And Abraham got up and did it. Abraham, go. Abraham went right then. Abraham, give me all that's precious to you. Abraham gave him all that's precious to him. And that's all God wants. Everything. Heavenly Father, we thank you for loving us. We thank you that you are such a miraculous powerful God that you can make demands on us that are humanly beyond comprehension. But you make those demands because you also enable us to do them. 